All right, Exodus 13. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word, if you're able. And then we will pray for His blessing on the explanation of it. Hear God's Word to you this morning. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belong to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today in the month of Abib, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives. Technology. All right, we need to pray. Thanks, Pete. All right, let's pray. Father, settle our hearts and our minds. We just heard your word read, and that in and of itself has an impact on those of us especially who know you and in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. But Lord, we know uh, you give us pastors, teachers, in order to equip us that we might all function in the body of Christ the way that you call us to with the varied gifts and talents. And so, Lord, enable me, your, your servant, to explain your word clearly, that we might hear your voice, that we might be changed by it, not only in the uh, attitudes of our hearts and in our minds, but in our behavior as well. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory, not our own. Amen. Amen, amen and amen. All right. 
All right, so we're going to start with a, a quote from a, the Bishop of Hippo, 400 AD. His name was Augustine, Aurelius Augustine is his full name. Um, I'd love to point out he's from Northern Africa, because a lot of times we think that it's only white people in the church. Well, that ain't true. It goes way back. We have lots of people of color that God used in mighty ways, going way back. And so Augustine made this comment that I first read when I was reading Calvin's Institutes, another uh, man that God used in a mighty way to reform his church. And he quotes from Augustine, he uses this quote that Augustine said in his book called The City of God. Now listen to this. The righteousness of the saints in this world consists more in the forgiveness of sins than in the perfection of virtue. Now this is what he's saying. He's saying ultimately what makes us the righteous is that we've been forgiven. It's not our behavior. It's not that we walk the perfect line and we're holier than everybody else because we never make any mistakes. We never fall. We never sin. But rather, we are the righteous because God in his mercy has taken away our sins. And you ever do, ever read in the Bible like the Psalms, you know, the righteous this, the righteous that, you start getting a little squirrely. Anybody? Because I'm thinking, oh, I'm not as righteous as I want to be. But if you're in Christ, if I'm in Christ, by faith, we are the righteous. Because of the forgiveness of sins. Now, that should lead us to practical righteousness. We'll talk about that later. But I think even though last week was very chaotic, what I tried to demonstrate from the scripture verse last week, chapters 12 and 11, is the very fact that the heart of the Passover service, the ceremony, that started way back here during the time of the Exodus. At the heart of it is simply this, is that the only difference, the main difference, I should say, between the godly and the ungodly, those in the church and those in the world, it's simply the blood, the blood that was shed. And we saw that last week. We saw that when God commanded his people to take a lamb, to shed the blood, and then to put it on the doorposts so that when the, when the destroying angel came, that angel would pass that house if the blood was on it. And then go to the next house, so to speak. And if the blood wasn't there, judgment was meted out. Justice. Getting what you just deserve. Exodus 12, we saw that God said, when I see the blood... These aren't my words. This is the word of Scripture. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And what's interesting is it's only a lamb, but notice what type of lamb. We looked at it a little bit last week, so we're not going to turn to it, but you can look it up later. It, would, it needed to be a lamb without spot, without defect, without blemish. Because a tarnished sacrifice couldn't pay for the sins of someone who's tarnished. You needed a perfect representation, which was symbolic in the land without defect. What's interesting is that land without defect, it did something uh, that the New Testament uses the word, and it's also in the Old Testament, it's the word propitiation. Or propitiate. You know, sometimes, oh, you're speaking Christianese. Well, let me bring it down for you. Because it's in the Bible. It's not trying to, that the Bible's trying to show, you know, look how smart the preacher is. Believe me, I had to learn it myself. Yeah, I didn't know this as a teenager. The word propitiate means to turn aside wrath. 
So in other words, wrath is coming at you because you broke the law of God, because you sinned against God, because it's all about you instead of being, being about the God who made you. And instead, that wrath gets diverted. And you don't get punished. Instead, the lamb takes the death blow. And we know who that lamb is. It's the Lord Jesus. Now, I was watching a show the other night, and this is so, it really hit me, because this is how the world thinks. And the main character was trying to explain and justify why he killed somebody because of the bad things they had done. And he said, yeah, we're all sinners. We all sin. But some people, this is the way he put it, are deeply flawed. In other words, he was this guy is like especially evil, or this lady, and that's why she deserved for me to kill her. To be judge and jury and execution. But you see, the problem with that logic is, pun intended, it's deeply flawed. It's deeply flawed because the Bible teaches us very clearly we're all deeply flawed. We hear it, but do we believe it? Since our first parents fell in the Garden of Eden, when God commanded them not to eat from the tree, and they did, all of their descendants, that means you, that means me, that means the people you look up to are deeply flawed beings. We're all messed up. That means we're sinful to the core. And what that means is that we have a debt we owe. So listen, here's what's important to see. This, this was mind-boggling boggling to me when I was thinking it through. That means that Moses, you know, holy Moses, right? The greatest prophet other than before Jesus. Aaron, the high priest. Pharaoh, that wicked tyrant, and all his servants. Guess what? They're all equally flawed. And you know what would have happened to Moses and his children, firstborn? If there was no blood on his door, the same thing that would have happened to the, that did happen to the Egyptian sons. No distinction. If it wasn't for the blood. That's what distinguishes us from a perishing world, brothers and sisters in Christ. The blood of Jesus, the free gift of his death on our behalf. And that's something to celebrate. You know, they say, why do you call it Good Friday when your Savior died? It's Good Friday. Because that was our only hope of getting out of hell. And so for God's people, that was a good day. The best day. The Apostle Peter puts it this way. So you see that my interpretation comes from the word. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, what does he tell us? For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, and notice what he calls Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter was reading Exodus. That's the Peter, by the way, who told us that the Old Testament is a light in a dark place. The Apostle Paul, a little longer quote, but I want you to hear this. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. That means when you heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit called you to be, belong to God. 
through Jesus. He says, not many of you were wise by human standards. Hello. Not many were influential. Yeah, I kind of fit that one too. Not many were you, of you were of noble birth. All right, you're meddling now, Paul, right? But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. An old shepherd guy with a long beard and a stick goes up to the mightiest king of all the nations, right? He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him, that's God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You want to brag? Brag about Jesus. You can't be bragging about yourself because you ain't all that. I ain't all that. That's the main point of the Passover. And I just do, I want to highlight that before we go to the other points we're going to see. And that's Jesus is our righteousness. Now listen, here's the thing. Is the church supposed to live holy? Of course. Should we be different than the world and our aspirations and our desires and in our conduct? Well, as folks from the Midwest used to say, or do say, you betcha. When we fail, do we tarnish our witness to a watching world? We sure do. But in the end, the thing that distinguishes us, praise the Lord, is the blood of Jesus. We've been forgiven through it. We've been set apart by it. And we've been rescued from the wrath of God through it. Can I get a hallelujah up in this place? Please. Now, it's the best news for a world of deeply flawed Beings, and it's our only hope in the face of sure judgment because it's coming. It's not an if, but a when. Yes. Yes. And it's only as we drink in that truth so deeply that any worship, listen, this is important, any service, any devotion to God will be filled with the humility, with the wonder, and with the adoration that our incredible God and Savior both desires from us, now listen, church, and deserves. He is worthy. He deserves it. He deserves our all in all, everything we have. You know, put Jesus first. Baloney. You don't put Jesus first. He's all. He's everything. He's not the first in a line. When Jesus said, whoever does, does not hate father and mother and wife, whoever loves them more than me is not worthy of me. He's not telling us to hate our parents. He's not telling us to hate our wives. He's saying, compared to our love for him, that love should pale. And it's only those who have that kind of love because of what the Lord did for them that can really love others yes. sacrificially with agape love. Because apart from Jesus, I don't know agape love. So what comes from this? It's the old why me question. Why me, Lord? Why did you choose to open my eyes? Why did you save a sinner like me? Yes. 
Exodus 11, 6-7. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. That's during this judgment. Worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any man or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. The same one who said to the ocean, the waves, be still, and it just stopped, is the one who took the mouths of the dogs and said, yep, silence. Silence. They will know that I am the Lord. What's the response we saw last week? They worshiped. What else are you going to do? Bow down, you know, that's always thing, and worship him. Worship him. So all we're going to see this morning, and don't worry, they're two very short points, but really poignant points, powerful points. We're going to see this, that besides the main teaching of at on atonement for sin, which I just spoke about, the Passover celebration teaches us about two other things, and they're very brief points, so stick with me. The first is, it teaches us about consecration. Another big word, but it's in the text, so I'll, ta I'll tell you what it means. And the second one is commemoration. And believe me, you hear that word in society all the time. We commemorate this, we commemorate that. So those are two things we're going to talk about. Consecration and commemoration. Let's take a look at the first one. Look at verse 2. 1 and 2 of chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether male or animal. One commentator explains it nicely. He says, At the time death was being visited upon the firstborn of the Egyptians, Moses was saying to the Israelites, Your firstborn belongs to me. You get that? God was singling out the firstborn from among the Israelites and saying, they belong to me. See, the Pharaoh and the Egyptians faced the awful judgment of the Lord for their rebellion, for their cruelty, for their unbelief, for oppressing his people for all those years. They received the death of their firstborn. But the firstborn of Israel, God sets apart unto himself. And notice what it says here. They are to be consecrated to the Lord. All right, so that's what we're going to talk about. The word consecrate simply means this, to dedicate to or to separate unto God for his glory as his special possession, the special object of his love. In other words, we're saying, Lord, I consecrate my child to you. He belongs to you. He has a special calling. Even among your special people who are already consecrated, the firstborn had even a special position. So it just means to dedicate. I dedicate. I consecrate. This was the day when the Lord, Yahweh, was about to deliver his people with a mighty hand out of the house of bondage, of slavery, by faith. Israel was to first of all, before they even did anything, consecrate to God every firstborn male. Notice, human and animal, even their animals. And once again, we shouldn't be surprised by that. What does the consecration involve? Setting apart involve? Sacrificing a lamb. Blood. More blood. 
That's the first aspect of consecration. But there's a second aspect of consecration, and it has to do with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's bread without leaven. Leaven, of course, makes the bread rise, but God commanded there be no leaven to spread throughout the dough. So it would be kind of a flat bread. Sometimes we use it for communion. Most of the time, as a matter of fact. This is what we read, verse 5. Observe the ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold the festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. Now listen, when we read this stuff in the Old Testament, you've got to understand God's not talking about bread. He's not talking about physical yeast. It's pointing, it's teaching us a lesson. It's pointing to something that's, that's a reality. This is the shadow. This is the symbol. But it's talking about something that's really going on. You think God cares whether we eat bread? You know, like, hey, I'm Italian. I eat a lot of bread with yeast. You know what I'm saying? And some of that, that bread, mamma mia, delizioso. But anyway, he's not talking about that. This is what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the yeast of sin and wickedness. That's what the yeast represented. It's to, to get rid of that yeast and be the yeast of what you really are if you're a believer. And that is a holy yeast. In other words, that's what you are in God's sight because of the blood. You are to live like it now. Um, Paul explains this very clearly in 1 Corinthians 5, 6 to 8. We read it for our, our preparation for worship. I'm going to read it again. He was speaking to the, to the Corinthians who were boasting about some pretty awful things. And he says this, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? There you go, right? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. Now listen to his explanation in case you think that I was doing some weird interpretation. This is what Paul says. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. That's the meaning of the Passover, brothers and sisters, in terms of our application. Excuse me. The way we live, the way we fulfill this ceremony is not by keeping the Passover anymore, which we'll talk about why we don't do that anymore in a moment. But we do that by living lives of sincerity and of truth. In other words, putting sin to death in our lives and living under righteousness more and more as we grow in Christ. See, in the, for us in the new covenant, that's what we do. We get rid of the old yeast of sin on a daily basis, fighting it, putting it to death. And we live, we eat the bread of sincerity and truth. But notice why. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So that means the lamb without blemish, without defect, he took our place. And that goes before us so that we could be righteous before God. But then it goes after us. It leads us to lives of godliness. Increasing God. It sends us out to serve. It propels us forward to sanctification, service, worship, sincerity, and truth. That's what the cross does. You know, people say, well, if I'm forgiven for free and I don't have to do anything, then I can live any way I want. Well, then you're misunderstanding the whole thing. You're not getting it. And it, because you can do whatever you want, but is sin really what you want? 
after you saw what it cost? And that's the second and last thing we're going to talk about. Very few moments we have left. The Passover doesn't only teach us about consecration, but it te teaches us about commemoration. Now listen. Verse 3. Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. What does it mean to commemorate? Well, it means to be mindful of. In other words, to bring to your remembrance. To remember. Remember. Every Passover celebration from this point forward was designed to remind God's people of the day their Lord fought for them. Remember that day, the day that he brought them out of the land of slavery and bondage into a land of milk and honey and liberation. Now, listen, any Passover celebration that does not keep this fact front and center is not worthy of being called a Passover. And I'm saying that because in the Christian church, we have ceremonies. You ever go to like the first Holy Communion? And I'm telling you, it's all about the kid. Where's Jesus? Where's his body and his blood? I mean, we deck it out, we spend thousands of dollars, it looks like a wedding. And yet nobody's talking about Jesus. It's supposed to be a commemoration. I can go on and on. But that's just one example I can think of. Now, why... Don't we celebrate the Passover as Christians? Well, in a sense, we do. Because the Passover was fulfilled in the Lord's Supper. Because remember, it was the Passover meal where Jesus broke the bread and poured the wine and said, this is my body, which is for you. And then notice what he said. Do this what? In commemoration, in remembrance of me. And we don't do it once a month. I mean, we don't do it uh, once a year. Excuse me. We do it at least once a month. Because we need to commemorate. We need to call to mind. We, we need to remember what the Lord has done for us in bringing us out of the bondage of sin into the liberation of the sons of God and the daughters of God. Now, maybe you've seen folks take communion and you've noticed their eyes are closed tight. You ever notice this sometimes? Heads are bowed. They seem to be deep in thought, right? Concentrating. Sometimes you might even see tears going down a face. Maybe you've also noticed there's, there's sometimes there's this holy hush during communion. And you, maybe you wonder to yourself, well, what should I be doing? I'm looking around at my brother. Why are they all doing it? Like, what should I be doing when I'm eating the bread, when I'm drinking the wine? Or in our case, Grape juice. Well, what we should be doing, even if you look back in Exodus, we see this. We should be meditating on. We should be recalling to our minds the great love, the great mercy, the great kindness, and the great power of the redemption that Jesus wrought for us on that cross. When he gave his body and his blood up for us, we should commune with him by faith, remembering what the Lord did for you. Now look, remember, we saw it in the text, on that day, tell your son, 
right? When your kids say, like, why are you doing this? I see you bowing your head. Why are we doing this communion thing? I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Well, we would say, I do this because of what the Lord did for me and bringing me out of sin and its consequences. We were going to sing a hymn. Um, we don't have the words up here. Um, but alas, and did my Savior bleed. So I'll read a couple of stanzas. And lately I've been really uh, blessed by this song. Thus might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears. Dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt mine eyes to tears. And then this stanza really hits me. Listen, church, listen to this. But drops of tears can never repay. The debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away is all that I can do. Amen, church? You know, I think of my testimony and people give uh, different ways they receive the Lord. And sometimes they'll say sinner's prayers. And, you know, for me, I literally said, Lord, take my life. It's not worth anything. But you can have it. That's what the Passover is. The Passover, and to whom it points, the Passover lamb reminds us how much it costs Jesus to make you his child. And he did it for you. And he did it willingly. And it tells us in the Bible, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Yes, the joy is glorifying his father and doing his will, but it's also to bring many sons to glory. For his brothers and his sisters, which is you and me, if we believe. Who's my brother? Who's my sister? He hears the word and obeys it. And the first order of, of business is to believe. And you know what's interesting? I want to close with this, and then we're going to have communion together. Bible says here, it's like a sign on our hands, a reminder on our forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. So listen, here's the cool thing. We don't need to get tattoos. I mean, you want to get tattooed, fine. We don't need to get tattoos because the Lord's Supper is our reminder. It's like a tattoo, constantly reminding us of what the Lord has done for us. And notice, so that the law of the Lord may be on your lips. I was just explaining uh, the difference between the religion I grew up in and the religion I, I now follow, by the grace of God, to someone the other day. And they said, oh yeah, I, I believe like you. The other way is strict. They're too strict. They didn't get it. It's not that it's too strict. Because, first of all, it's impossible. Right? To earn your way by obeying the law. But second of all, they had this misconception because this person was living in full sin the way I used to live, with no restraint on their lusts, living in sexual immorality, and they were, they were criticizing religion because it's strict. What they don't understand, some of the Puritans, <laughs> right, who believe basically like we believe, they were strict. But they understood something. They understood that God's laws are only for our good. God wants children to have mommies and daddies yeah. together. Mm -hmm. Yes, 
uh, some of us didn't have that. And God in his mercy is gracious and kind and puts other people in our lives. But God's reason, don't commit adultery, is for our good. It's for good for children. It's good for us. Do not steal is a protective law. You know, maybe we get upset because we wanted to steal, but when somebody steals from us, we don't like that. We take all those laws. They're not strict. They're for our own good. And for God's glory. So when we take this meal, it sets us back. And, uh, you know, sets us, gives us with it, the front, front end alignment in your car. You have to get it right down there. It centers us back on, no, the law of the Lord is good. Reviving the heart. Reviving the soul. And even though we will never be perfect in this life. We're going to die trying because he died to make us perfect. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's pray. Father, we, what can we say but thank you? What can we do but worship and adore and fall on our face and say, unto you, O Lord, unto you be the glory, not us. So, Lord, as we come to your table in a few moments, we come as those who are needy for your grace on a daily basis so that you could strengthen us to do your will for our own good, for your glory and the blessing of others. Oh, God, help us to remember who we are in you and what you've done to set us free. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.